Tennis is one of the most popular sports around the world and there are plenty of people out there betting on it. This podcast gives you an edge over the market thanks to in-depth analysis from our expert guests. Welcome to Advantage Betters. Okay, well, we've had the Grand Slam from Paris and what a Grand Slam tournament it was. It had so many different narratives to it, didn't it? And we're here to cover the next one. It doesn't seem two minutes since we're previewing Roland Garros with Mats Villander, the seven-time Grand Slam champion, and Dan Weston, who is our regular pinnacle contributor. Uh, Gents, thanks for being back with us here on the podcast. Wimbledon is just around the corner and it wasn't played last year due to the obvious reason. But um, gentlemen, he's, he's got so many different elements to it this time, doesn't it? And um, I mean, we're going to get into all the different picks and who, who's going to do well in the women's draw, the men's draw. But Matt, I mean, we were just joking before we started recording this podcast um, about, um, you know, you said jokingly that you didn't know much about grass. I mean, that's complete nonsense because you've actually got a record, uh, which is a, a fantastic record to have. And that's by virtue of you winning two Aussie Open titles when that was played on grass. So, uh, come on, you're not going to let our listeners forget this record. No, not really yet. I think that's something that uh, us tennis players are very proud of, is the fact that you were able to win uh, on all three, we call them three different surfaces, uh, with clay, hard courts, and grass. Of course, there's indoors as well, but no Grand Slam tournament there. Uh, And uh, yes, I managed to win. Uh, two or more on all three surfaces. I didn't have great success at Wimbledon. Of course, Rafa Nadal has won uh, uh, more than twice at Wimbledon on grass. He's won obviously more than, what, it's 13 times on clay. Then he's won US Open, Australian Open on hard courts. Uh, So that's more than two times. And then Novak now has won uh, minimum two on all three surfaces. Of course, Novak has won two, minimum two uh, at all four majors. And that's it. I think it's him and Roy Emerson. But uh, yeah, the difference is, uh, guys, uh, grass courts in Australia was played either in December, uh, which is sort of the beginning of the Australian summer, or in January, which is in the middle of the Australian summer. And the, the, the similarity between that and Wimbledon today is not only that because of global warming, even London has better weather, that dries the grass courts out. Uh, and the ball bounces a little bit higher, but also the grass at Wimbledon has changed over the years. Uh, The main reason for changing it was because of the uh, Olympics that you guys had uh, at Wimbledon. Was that 2012? Exactly. Andy Murray won it. So they needed the grass courts to come back after Wimbledon is, is over sort of in the middle of July. Then the Olympics came around a month later and they needed the grass to still be okay to play on. Uh, and it turned out it was. So the similarity is the ball bounces higher today at Wimbledon than when we used to play. Therefore, you could play a little bit more from the baseline. Uh, the problematic thing is coming from uh, the French Open with only a two-week window, which obviously Novak Djokovic has to deal with this time around. Uh, unfortunately, not Rafa Nadal because he's not there. And Roger Federer, well, he had three weeks of preparation after his uh, week-long stint at the French Open. So it'll be tough for Novak, and it's that change that made it really hard for players like me who were uh, natural baseliners. So the first week is crucial for somebody that uh, went through uh, uh, in Paris and is a natural baseliner. So for Novak, if you're going to take him out, you better do it while the grass is green uh, and uh, the ball still stays pretty low. 
Yeah. And uh, Dan, let's just talk about the grass because I'm guessing that with all the stats that you do, Mm. grass is probably throws up a few surprises, doesn't it? And um, it, it, it really sort of levels the playing field in some respects. It widens the gap in lots of others. So just talk purely in terms of surface. How does that affect where you come into it with you looking at stats? And is there anything in particular that you're looking for from particular players maybe coming into it off the back of Queens or, or even, you know, referring back to the French Open? Is there any signs of anything that points towards them doing well at Wimbledon? Right, well, where do we start? I think we probably start with the sort of surface comparisons between each each of the surfaces. So if we look at a kind of a pecking order of, of general court speed, we'd have grass at the top, an indoor hard, then hard court, and then clay court from top to bottom in terms of general speed. Um, obviously, the, the conditions at each tournament vary, but that's a general rule of thumb. What, what I would say is that it's, it's so difficult with this kind of very, tight schedule between the French Open and Wimbledon not many warm-up events and Queens I think it's important not to read too much into Queens as well because Queens is one of the quickest conditions on tour in fact in my database I think it's the fastest event on tour wow. and, and so Wimbledon's not generally from my metrics at least not as quick so for example uh, Wimbledon over the last three years has had slightly below average service points one and aces per game compared to the average grass court over the same time period now, that's slower than Queens, which is obviously played in the same city. Um, but I think the climate, because as Matt's, Matt's referred to earlier, it's got a lot to do with things as well. So uh, for those, those listeners who aren't in England, we've had a... Before last week, we had like a month where there was pretty much no rain at all. And then over the last week, it's been a bit unsettled. Um, this week's probably going to be a bit unsettled as well, but then... Just took a look at the long, long-term forecast. And next week, it's going to be 24, 25 degrees sunny. So I, I think that the weather will be good. I think there'll be many rain delays. And, and I wonder if that's going to have an impact on the conditions as well. That, that, it's, that general the fact that it hasn't, didn't rain for like a month in London before last week is, 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 could be pretty huge. Um, now, the quicker conditions, you would think that the benefit is generally going to be with the more serve-orientated players. So we can talk about a couple of those sort of options a bit further down in the market, perhaps later on. Um, and also we see generally tighter sets, tighter matches and tie breaks a lot more. So my model that I, I built has a calculated percentage of uh, first set tie breaks, for example, uh, or no breaks in the first set, just 12 holds and then a tie break. And, and, and it's a lot higher on grass. So you get, you get a big server, someone who serves, you, get, find, you find two players who serve high 80s, low 90s on grass, and then in terms of the whole percentage, then that's going to com- combine to a very likely tie break and probably say a best of f- maybe even 50, 60% tie break chance in, 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 that, in, in each set. So that, that's huge. And you've got to look at it because that's variance there, there, there and then, you know, tie breaks, a good player is maybe going to be maybe like 65-35 against a bad player in a tie break. Right. Um, and, and that's where the variance comes in. But the thing is, with Wimbledon, we have best of five sets in Grand Slams and the variance tends to smooth out more in the longer matches. But in, in the, the best of three set matches in the warm-up on grass, maybe you do get a few shocks. Although it was interesting, I had a, look, had a good look at the stats from Rogers' game against Felix Auger-Aliassime last week. And, and, Roger gave up 15 break point chances in that match, which is really not a positive. So 
Um, yeah, that wasn't a very heavy loss for Federer, in my opinion, at all. I think that, that was, he looked very, very well merited. Um, so that's, that's a problem for him. But yeah, I think that it's important for betters to understand that there's a lot more variance on grass than there might be on clay, where you get a lot more double break sets and a dominant player just tends to dominate a lot more eventually. In grass, you, you might get the odd upset, big price low down, 7-6, 7-6, 7-6 or something like that. Just a really tight one or they nick a key break point at, at the end of a set or something like that. But this, this stuff happens a lot more on grass. And I think that, that the betters who listen to this need to be kind of more aware of that than they would be on other surfaces. And Matt, does that really mean true for you? You know, when you actually think about when you played at Wimbledon, did you think, oh, we're going to be in some really tight games here, particularly against, you know, the big serving players and stuff as well? You know, there, was, there must have been players who you came up against and thinking, oh, my word, this is going to be a long afternoon here in the sun. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the, yeah, exactly. It's very unpredictable to play tiebreakers. And uh, I agree with you, Dan, that the better players uh, most probably have a sort of 65-35 chance of, of winning the tiebreaker. But having said that at the same time, what players like me or a Novak Djokovic and, and to a certain degree a Roger Federer, what we are really good at, or at least I was, is to hold serve. And holding serve means obviously that you win your service game. For me, holding serve, I would rather hold serve and lose a point or two in my own service games because I want to test the waters a little bit. So if I'm up 40, 15, I'm going to play sort of a risky point. I'm okay losing that point because I'm, I think the percentages are on my side to win the next. So there you go. I hold serve and that's one game. You get to a tiebreaker. There is no such thing as, oh, I'm up by 30 love. Let me play this point. No, tiebreaker, you got to win every single point on your serve and every point uh, it starts from nothing there is really not a score line that you can lean back against if you get up two mini breaks maybe but even then you're just going in to win every single point and that mindset for a baseliner is very very different so uh, i always thought at wimbledon okay so this is important now i'm up 40 love let's make sure i win every single point on my serve because it's going to come back and haunt me towards the end of the set in a tiebreaker and therefore you have guys like john isner uh, or uh, the really, really huge servers. And the reason they have an advantage is they usually win their service games to love, or they might lose a point. So they build up this confidence of as, as, as long as they're serving, they're going to win the point. I'm going to win the point. I'm going to win the point. And that's not the case for, for somebody maybe like Novak Djokovic or now Rafa Nadal is not there. So that's the, that's the first thing. The other thing about... Uh, about playing a lot of tiebreakers uh, is um, there's luck involved, a lot of luck involved. And the better you are, the less you want luck to be, to be a part of it. And as you mentioned on a clay court, there are these momentum changes that last for 10, 15 minutes and suddenly I can break your serve at any time because you can't hit an ace on clay. So I, I break, I hold, I break. And then suddenly you have this 20 minutes of, you can sort of breathe. On a grass court, you feel like you're, like Roger was, 15 break points. You're close to breaking, but you don't break. Now you gotta hold serve. Now you're close to breaking, don't break. Well, it's still two all or three all, even though I know I'm the better player in terms of try, having break points. And that, you can just throw that out 
uh, into uh, into the garbage can at gra- on grass doesn't mean much. So luck is extremely important, uh, and and luck for people uh, is usually when you hit the ball on your racket. But on grass, luck means just like a penalty shootout in in European football. If you're a goal the goalie, or if you're the striker, you got to pick a corner. And as a goalie, you got to pick a corner and you got to anticipate. If you go right, you have a chance to get it. If you go wrong, the penalty kick, the penalty shot can be horrible. And on grass, you got to pick a side. When the guy serves to you, you have to pick a side. And if you get there, there's a good chance you get your racket on the ball and you might make it. But you have to go so early. And that's why somebody like Roger Federer is going to be a threat because his anticipation level is so high uh, because he knows where the guy is likely to serve. He knows where they serve when it's uh, the first point of the game or the second point of the game, uh, 30 all. They have all these percentages figured out in them. I mean, Dan, they're like your brain. They really are. They just, they, they, I don't know how they do it, but they, they calculate uh, and, and on grass, it's really important to figure out where the guy serves on the first point. Also, where the toss is on a uh, on the serve. Is he going to slice it? And, and that, again, to somebody who plays a little bit of a, a defensive style of tennis, which is Novak Djokovic, uh, which... Uh, is not Serena Williams, is not Roger Federer. They're quite happy to take a risk and go the other way around, but uh, there's a lot of risk involved. And when you put the best player in the world on the court and you tell him, well, listen, 20% of this match is luck. He's going to go, whoa, whoa, I don't like my odds at all. Like, so I think that's really important to realize that, that you have to do a lot of guesstimating. And if you guesstimate the wrong way, well, hell, I could ace Novak Djokovic on the grass court if he goes the wrong way. And I think that's really huge on a grass court. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, and the other thing is most guys today serve really big. And they can hold serve against anyone. Uh, and the, the thing on the women's side is most women now are serving really big. So uh, the, the longer we keep playing on the grass court, the more seven, six sets we're going to have because the, the, the playing field is so level these days. So you saw that at the women's draw. Anyone can pretty much beat anyone at any point. And on the men's side, it's starting to be like that. Anyone can beat anyone at, the, at, at some point. There's only maybe a handful that can win the tournament. But uh, Novak Djokovic can go out against at least 30, 40 players in the first couple of rounds. And on clay... Cut that down to five. Uh, And I'm sure statistically it might not show it, but to Novak, it feels like that. So uh, confidence doesn't really grow on a grass court. You Interesting to see, to see the stats on that then, Dan. By the way, I love that comparison from Matt to Dan. I mean, you, you have the mind of a top 10 tennis player. That, you know, take that <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> um, but Dan, better, so, better, better. There we go. That's yes. that's Look at this. This is brilliant on the Pinnacle podcast. Love that. <laughs> Advantage Metals, fantastic. And Dan, if you want to um, just, just talk us through that, I mean, is the disparity, we will come on to the, uh, to the contenders actually and, and sort of pick out some, some winners in just a moment. But yeah. um, in terms of um, what, what Matt says about someone like a Novak Djokovic playing on grass, will he feel that closer disparity when he's turning up at Wimbledon? 
Yeah, and I think that this goes back to what I was saying about the tighter sets and the more variance heavy, the, the influence of luck a lot more in those tighter sets. Because if, if Novak is playing against like John Isner on clay, he knows he's going to grind him down eventually. Uh, uh, but if he plays against John Isner on grass, he's like, well, I better prepare to, to be in a fight, win some tie breaks. I'm probably going to have to face at least two tie breaks, if not three. And, and that, that, that makes it a lot more, as Matt said, a lot more luck orientated. He might have a, a 20% chance of losing three tiebreaks to Isno. And, that, and that's the key thing. Whereas he knows that on clay, that's, that's, that risk is not there. And that makes it a big difference, I think. It's more, more vulnerable to upsets for sure. Um, but it's interesting because the, the betting market has got such a lot of faith in Novak after the French Open. You know, he's, he's marginally odds on around even money. Um, so that's implying that he's got about a 50% chance of winning the tournament with no, no Rafa. And then a few players kind of a little bit further back, it's a pass Medvedev, Federer, Vera, Berrettini, the next kind of tier of players. Uh, uh, and I, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to back against Djokovic, but I think the draw is going to be key because there's a lot of unseeded players who he's probably not going to want to face first up or in the second round. And, and, and it's, yeah, it's really, well, I'm really looking forward to the draw and to see who, who gets matched up against the big names because there's probably a good handful of dangerous unseeded players in the draw who, who they won't want to face. You know, even if, he, if, he, if he's getting older, but say someone, say he faces someone like Feliciano Lopez in, in round one, a guy who's got a great record on grass, good serve, that could be tricky. You know, it's this, 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 you know, opportunities for, for upsets for sure. Yeah. Right. Well, in that, without further ado, Dave, we've touched briefly on some of those sort of runners and riders. We'll go through the ATP contenders then. So the odds you can get, as always, pinnacle.com. Uh, Djokovic, the absolute standout favourite. And it's no wonder. I mean, he, he was brilliant at the French Open, wasn't he? But Matt, you actually did tip uh, Stefano Tsitsipas um, at the French Open on our last podcast. You said that he was definitely one to watch and obviously he made that final. And he performed brilliantly, didn't he? I, I had a sneaking suspicion that before that final that he was actually going to get it, get over the line. Obviously, Nadal's withdrawn because of that grueling clay court season. And um, I mean, I'm just wondering, could we see another Djokovic Tsitsipas final following, you know, following that French Open final? I think it's quite possible, isn't it? But like, like Dan's just quite rightly pointed out, you've got Sasha Zverev, he's at 16 and a half. Uh, Medvedev is at 11s on pinnacle. Federer is at 9.9. So, sort of, you know, looking at 10 to 1, Roger Federer to win Wimbledon. I mean, would, what is success for Roger Federer at Wimbledon? And just talk to me briefly, about, uh, Matt, about sort of what the rest of them uh, are going to bring to the party. Because, look, we all know what Djokovic, it's almost pointless talking about Djokovic. And, you know, we've touched on the fact that there are other players, there are players who can beat him early doors. But he's so prominent. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the other players. Um, Sitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, mainly. Um, but, but what's the success story for Federer, first of all, Matt? Oh, I think a success for Federer would be to, uh, if he gets as far as uh, losing to Novak Djokovic, or if he gets as far as losing to Tsitsipas, um, Mm, Sasha Sverev, I think that he needs to beat him, but then again, he serves absolutely uh, out of the Empire State Building. And then Medvedev, who doesn't really like clay courts to begin with, I think he's gotten to the later rounds, but, but he beat Stan Wawrinka one year. And his kind of style uh, kind of uh, suits a grass court 
So I always used to say this, that, you know, the difference between clay and grass and Rafa's record winning 13 grand, uh, French Opens and Roger Federer's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's won eight Wimbledons. Is that right? I think mm. so. I think it's eight. I think um, it's eight, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, there are way, way more clay court specialists on the men's side than there are grass court specialists. There are very few guys that know actually how to play on a grass court. But then, today, everybody serves much bigger and better. So that the chances are that somebody like Medvedev comes out and he serves unbelievable. Well, he can push Roger or Novak to a couple of tiebreakers. So I think that it used to be that uh, people didn't know how to play on grass. It still is somewhat, but everybody knows how to serve today. And that wasn't the case, even if you go back sort of 10 years ago with the likes of Leighton Hewitt and David Nalbandian and these guys, they were baselineers. They didn't really serve at all. Uh, so they were now the threat to Roger Federer whatsoever. But Tsitsipas and Medvedev and, uh, and of course, um, Matteo Berrettini, these guys serve absolutely massive. So I think that they are all threats to Roger Federer. I'm a little worried after watching him against uh, uh, Felix Auger Aliasim, where you see Aliasim serving at about 215 Ks uh, on average, and Federer throws in sort of that 195 average. There's a big discrepancy in the speed of serve for Roger Federer compared to these young guys. And because he's not as quick reacting, sometimes can become an absolutely massive weapon, meaning they winning more free points on their serve than Roger Federer does on his serve. And at 39 years old, that eventually will wear you down. But 10 to 1, you're saying? Federer? Yeah, 10 to 1. 10 to 1. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Novak does not like the preparation he would have had uh, or will have with most probably about. 12 days maximum on a grass court uh, and some of them not being as good as Wimbledon. Roger Federer would have absolutely loved his preparation going to Halle, having a chance to go. So, I mean, I would, that's a Roger Federer 10 to one. I think Federer has a really, really good chance of winning this year's Wimbledon. I really do. He just has to survive those early rounds and those five players that you talked about, Dan, that, that are, they're floating in the, in the draw that can, you know, uh, there's a lot of them. Dan Evans is one, pretty big serve, good grass court player. I mean, these guys can cause a lot of problems for Roger Federer in the early rounds. Dan, would you kind of echo those sentiments of Matt? I mean, I love the fact that you've nailed your colours to Matt there. Matt, that's brilliant. Love that. So, Dan, does that, does that ring true with what the uh, stats are pointing at? Well, Medvedev is, will go with first. And it's so interesting that, that, that Matt's is, you know, that, that visual point of view, watching Daniel Medvedev and thinking that he's going to be well suited to grass, is completely backed up by numbers as well. So it's a really good example of where the data and the eye test just completely align. Um, if you look at Medvedev's numbers in quicker conditions, venues with quicker conditions, the ones that I think have the quickest conditions, his records are very, very good. You, you change that to slow conditions, he really struggles. So inherently, the grass should suit him. Uh, and uh, while we haven't obviously seen much of him on grass with, with no tournament last year, th he should be a real contender, I think, because if you look at his improvement, he's gone a massive upward ability curve. He's done way better on clay than we thought he would do at the French Open. So he's, show he's showing that extra ability and, and the real upside that he has throughout for his career. And, and I, I actually believe that, that Medvedev is as good a contender as any to challenge Djokovic for, for this tournament. 
Federer, I would love to see. I mean, what a, what a fairy tale that would be for another Grand Slam title. There's a couple of kind of issues that I do have. One is that will, will his body last with seven best of five set matches? Now, grass is, the matches tend to be a little bit quicker than they would be on clay, but I still think that's a big test for him physically. And unless the, I haven't seen the seedings, I don't think they really deviate from the world ranking significantly. There's a chance that he's going to have to beat either Medvedev or Tsitsipas or both, and then and then Djokovic. Now that's that's tough. That's that's really tough. And I think that's probably a lot of the thinking behind that market price that the, the, they know that he's going to have to play some very tough opponents with his ranking. Uh, and yeah, that, that, that's that's a real question mark for me in terms of that schedule difficulty. Um, but wouldn't it be fantastic? Wouldn't it be absolutely fantastic if if Roger rolled back the years and, and, and won another Slam? Now it's great to hear Max Max also talk about Matteo Berrettini who who won at Queens last week. Now now this is a player who I think has got a great game for grass. He should do very very well. I'm so impressed with him generally in terms of his improvement. His his upside is is good. He's a very very strong server that's so useful on grass that that will win him a lot of cheap points. And and I and I think he can go well as well in the tournament too. Now, a couple of other players who we can talk about who I would be more sceptical about. Uh, Dominic Team. I mean, he's not had a great year. He, he lost to Andujar at French Open. Uh, be interesting to see how he gets on this week in Mallorca because uh, he actually has a pretty tricky uh, first match against uh, Adrian Manorino, who's another one of those sort of lower-ranked players who's very, very competent on grass. And another player who will prove generally prefers quicker conditions as well. You know, Manorino is not a good clay quarter, but he, he's a good grass quarter for sure. And he could catch the market cold in that match. And um, I want to, someone, someone who could, if he's fit, be a threat, but that's a big if, is Milos Raonic, who has a fantastic serve. And if I, I, I've actually brought his numbers up on my, on my other screens. And He's winning around 77% of points on his serve on grass in the last three years. Now, that's huge. That's going to buy him so many cheap points or three points. He's, he's averaging over one and a half aces per game on his service games in, in, in that time period as well, which is massive. But he hasn't played since March. And what I also don't like about Raonic is he's got this kind of quite willing to pull out of tournaments halfway through. And, and that's a big problem in terms of if you're going to back... You're going to back someone and he gets to quarterfinals and then says, no, I'm, 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 I'm going back to Canada or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're sick because you've got, you've got the value, but, but he's not going to play the rest of the tournament. And, and I also want to point out as well with Raonic that he's actually not won a tournament for over five years. So Brisbane 2016 was his last tournament win. Um, so while his looks, in theory, would have the tools to do very, very well in this tournament, there's a lot of kind of caveats to that as well. So... Yeah, a couple of, couple of other names there, maybe two. Okay, gents. And by the way, just before we move on onto the women's draw, I want to just get your thoughts, both of you, quickly, because we've got, obviously, a lot of UK listeners to this podcast. And also, people globally are interested in this because it is his home grand slam. You know what I'm going to ask you here, I think, by me saying that. Andy Murray, what is a success? I mean, I'm guessing it's far less... Um, He'll have far sort of less lofty ambitions, shall we say, than Roger Federer will do, just by virtue of the fact that he only had Queens. You know, that's that's all he's had in his sort of latest se- of the series of comebacks that he's had. 
And he wasn't bad at Queens, was he? You know, he had a good win early on, and, and I thought he looked okay. Rusty, and he was obviously still very competitive. But Max, I mean, Andy Murray, just for context, is at place forty-five to one to win Wimbledon. I don't think anybody's expecting him to win Wimbledon. But in terms of getting towards the business end of of the tournament of that two weeks, I mean, getting to the second week would, would be a magical achievement for it, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be a, a pretty uh, incredible achievement. But I think with Andy Murray, uh, it's a little bit like Roger Federer. There, there, what would be a success for him is to not lose to certain players. Like he can't, uh, if he plays uh, somebody that doesn't have necessarily a big serve, but he's a really good uh, backcourt player, uh, but you get the ball in play all the time and Andy, Andy's serve doesn't become as important uh, as it would against the uh, likes of Milos Raonic or John Isner or Matteo Berrettini, where if you don't serve well, eventually you're going you're gonna to feel the pressure and they, those guys serve well. So I think it's based on who he plays uh, and what the match was like in the previous round. If you haven't played matches, you play five sets on grass. So I think it's more about level. I hope he sticks, sticks to it for, for another year or two or three uh, and, uh, and, and has his hopes on uh, on uh, the, the level of performance. Like, how did he play well? Uh, was it on center court at Wimbledon? Was, it, was there a lot of people? Was there a good vibe? Did he win a couple of tiebreakers? I think we know he can hit the ball. We looked like he could run at Queens. He played, he, he was running, moving really well. But the first serve kind of goes away when he needs it the most, uh, which has always been the case with Andy Murray. He's just so solid everywhere. But if he's up against somebody who doesn't allow him to play and find his rhythm, then, uh, then Andy Murray will, will have a tough time, like all the older guys when they're up against the young guys. But um, now who he doesn't want to play is somebody like a Daniel Medvedev uh, or a Tsitsipas, that they're going to keep him out there for four hours and they run him into the ground and he might end up winning it, but it's still going to be a tough comeback. Uh, but I would say that Andy Murray on a grass court brings brings uh, um, intimidation back onto the tennis court. You know they stick him on the center court. And the guy, the other guy goes, okay, hold on, that's a great draw. I'm playing Andy Murray, but he's won twice here. He loves the grass. He might not love anything else uh, these days on the tennis court, but he certainly <laughs> loves grass still. And Andy is one of those few home, uh, home um, sort of grown players, even though I know he's Scottish and we're in England. But still, he's play, playing under the British flag. I mean, there's not many that have had more success than Andy Murray in his own Grand Slam. And that's up against the, the, the big three over all these years. And he's won it twice. He's made one finals. He won the Olympics as well. So the, his record speaks for, it, for itself. He actually takes the crowd and he uses them to his advantage. Uh, and um, and every, all the... Uh, the nuances of playing on, on Wimbledon center court. I felt like I was playing in, in the, I might as well go and play the, the history of, of modern art or something. Well, I mean, I felt, felt like, what am I doing here? I don't even want to touch the grass. I feel so intimidated and I'm not even looking into the Royal box. And I'm like, whoa, I can't show them how, who I am. I used to spit on the court all the time at the French Open. You can't spit on the court at Wimbledon. I mean, the Royal box. Wow. wow. It's tough to be yourself. Andy Murray has figured out a way to speak his language, if you know what I mean, and still be okay on the Senate court at Wimbledon. So he has found that way of being himself, which is really, really tricky. Novak Djokovic has figured that out over the years as well, 
Of course, Federer, he was built in a museum to me. He never said anything. He's just walking around. Everything is in place. When he walked on with that white jacket, remember? Like, okay, is that confidence or what do you call that? So I think Mari has found this is his home where he can be himself. People are on his side uh, and he can he is um, he can hit that little slice backhand, keep the ball in play. He's so strong in the legs. The ball bounces low. But there are some young players he doesn't want to face in the first round because the after effects, I think, are going to be very physical. So what did you say? 45 to one. Yeah, that's a tough one. Can Andy Murray cause one or two upsets? For sure, 100%. Yeah. That's good. That's what we like to hear. Right, I think <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move on um, onto the women's draw. I mean, the women's draw at the French Open, I don't want to sort of refer too much back to it, but it was so exciting. You know, that first week, there was like seven casualties, wasn't there, from the top 10 in the world, you know, all all gone. And, and it, it just made it so exciting because you had no idea which way you know, it was going to get, it was like, who's going to get knocked out today? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Barty? You know, who, who, who knew who was going to be each day? That was, that was really exciting. Ash Barty is the favourite. Uh, the second favourite is Serena Williams, of course, still attempting to claim that 24th major title. Um, the reigning champion, Simona Hallett, uh, seventh favourite, 13s. Um, Iga Svartek is at 12s and Sophia Kennan is at 17s. Of course, no Naomi Osaka. She's not playing. She's going to focus on the Olympics. Uh, it means that Petra Kvitova is installed at tens. She is the third favourite. And I'm looking at my screen in front of me, listeners, and Matt's has just given me a little nod as if to say, Petra Kvitova, yep, there we go. Um, first of all, before we come on to some of those in there, uh, Dan, any outsiders or players who've kind of got a good track uh, record on grass who you're tipping? I'm just thinking because you did tip uh, Badosa, uh for Roland Garros, actually got to the quarterfinal. That was remarkable. Yeah. yeah. So, is there anything of that ilk headed into this Grand Slam that you spotted? Uh, that that's a that's a good question, James. Um, I personally, I'm gonna kind of sit on the fence a little bit, and I want to wait for the draw. Now, we spoke before before French Open about how so many. WTA players can beat each other on their day. You know, there's probably 30 players who will go into a Grand Slam and think, right, I should be able to get to the quarterfinals or at least here and be pretty confident that their chances of doing at least that. Obviously, Barbara Krechkova won the tournament, you know, and she's not 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 highly ranked or anything like that. So, and I think also we talked about the casualties in, in, at Ryan Garros, the, the top 10 players losing. I think that's a bit of a byproduct of the longer period of time with rankings as well, where more recent improvement is not reflected so much and, and a few players have, are perhaps holding on to their ranking when, when they shouldn't. And on that, in that kind of context, going back to the men's, we saw Andy Murray play Benoit Pair in, in, in Queens. And he's, he's an example of that player who probably, you look at Pair's records since the tour resumed last summer, and you think he wouldn't even be in the top 100. Yeah, he's still seeded in some tournaments, you know. And, and, and that's, that's something that you have to consider, you know. The, 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 perhaps the, I would look more in terms of the road to, road to London or, or whatever, in terms of the year-long rankings as opposed to... Sorry, the, uh, calendar year rankings as opposed to the current world rankings a lot of the time right now. Um, But yeah, what I want to look for with um, the women's sort of longer shots is I want to look for players with a good serve because they're going to get that extra assistance on grass and they're going to win a lot more cheap points than someone who's going to have to try and fight it out with with, rallies and stuff a lot more often. Um, 
the, the draw's going to be so critical with, with many players capable of beating each other. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and I'm keen to find perhaps a solid player who should get through the first two or three rounds without a great deal of difficulty. You know, they're going to be heavy favourites in, in, in a few of the early round matches. Let the casualties play out and we'll see what happens when the draw opens up. Um, obviously, we don't know who's going to be playing who yet. There are a few grass court specialists around. You look at someone like Alison Risk, who's who's had a very good grass court record, but she's had a lot of injury problems and not played a lot recently. Uh, and then you look at someone similar bracket like Coco van der Weyer, who's the same as well. She's She's got a good grass record, but hasn't played a lot recently. So there's a lot of kind of ifs, buts and maybes about some of the, some of the sort of the second or third tier players on the tour in terms of the outright market. Can't wait to see the draw. A real shout will be someone like Karolina Machova, who's got a very good serve as well and, and probably has a lot of long-term upside too. Um, but let's go. Let's wait to the draw before I commit, I think would be my, my, the way I'm going to look at it. That's good. And that's good advice to our listeners as well, because I was going to ask you, Dan, later on, just before we wrapped up, how should our betters go about making their picks. And actually, that's probably really sound advice, isn't it? Just keep, wait for that draw before they yeah. start sort of, you know, loading money on sort of pinnacle.com yeah, yeah. and picking, picking players at left, right and centre. Um, Petra Kvitova, Max, mm. because I have just, um, you know, when I mentioned her name, when I was going down those sort of list of favourites, I, I, Mr. Vatlander over here did kind of just raise his eyebrow and kind of nod his head in a way that suggested, yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. And she's at tens, Matt. Um, so that's, I mean, third favourite. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's remarkable, isn't it? Kvitova has won Wimbledon twice, um, and she famously said that she would rather uh, have a chance to win majors and then go out early in some of them because the style of tennis she plays is very risky. Uh, and it's risky uh, on any surface. It's less risky on a grass court because she can come on a grass court and she can have a good serving day and then she's holding serve easily. Uh, or she can come on and she might not serve that well, but she returns out of her mind. So she has weapons all over the place. Uh, and on the women's game, you don't need to necessarily serve uh, that great in the match you're involved in. I think over the course of seven matches and two weeks, yeah, you have to serve pretty well. You got to kind of maybe lose one, maybe two points on average in your service game. But for one match, you can survive not serving great. And I think Kvitova has such a big weapon in her return game as well as when she's serving. She's left-handed. That's huge. And to be honest, I've seen Petra Kvitova now get fitter and fitter and fitter. And um, I think she's rededicated herself to tennis in a, in a more relaxed way since she had that incident when, when she was attacked and, and she was cut um, by an intruder in, a, in her left hand. Looks like she's back completely. Uh, and I think that that more relaxed attitude uh, at a place where she feels really at home and she knows she can win, I think that will give her that, not belief, but I think it will give her that um, the, the steadiness emotionally to actually come out and win matches when she's not playing great, but it's Wimbledon and I'm going to keep fighting because I love this surface. So I think Kvitova is, I don't, I don't know if I can put her at the same, but I certainly would put Kvitova at the same, in the same group as a Serena Williams. Um, it's tough to say Ash Barty because she was obviously injured at the French Open. Um, it's tough to say Simona Halep because she didn't play at the French Open, but she is the defending champion. Uh, so I think that on the women's side, it's very, very tricky. I, I like some of the Czech women. You mentioned Karolina Muchova, of course, Barbora Krajcikova, even a Karolina Pliskova. I mean, they, they know how to play tennis on all the different surfaces. 
and I think it's going to be tough. There are a lot of women, even Tamara Zidanzek, who made the semis of the French Open, not because of a big serve, not because of hitting winners everywhere, but because she is a former snowboarder and she is so strong in her legs. And on a tennis, grass tennis court, the ball, I would say on average, most probably bounces, ooh, I would say 25, 30% lower than it does on, on a hard court. And maybe even lower than that if you compare it to a clay court. So strong legs, a low center of gravity on a grass court can really, really help you uh, on the women's side. Yeah, and Dan, you're nodding your head at that. I mean, we're going to wrap up in just a second. Any other business from your side, Dan, to help our listeners I agree, get I agree with Max about Kvitova. I think that she's very, very capable of winning Wimbledon again. Um, if we look at her numbers uh, over the last three years on grass, and this includes her dropping a set today against Katarzyna Peter as well, she's actually held over 80% of her service games on grass in the last three years, 82%. And only the likes of Barty, who is a touch higher, around 85%, can, can beat that. But Kvitova has actually broken opponents marginally more. Matt's referred to her return game as well. And so she's got a better return game numbers-wise than Barty. So actually, if you combine those two metrics together, they're actually very, very similar in terms of grass court performance output. So, oh yeah, absolutely, Kvitova. If she's fit after the ankle injury from, from Roland Garros, she, she's a real threat to any player. And I think she should be one of the favourites. I, I would rather... Than, I would rather back her over someone like Halep at a similar price. I would rather back her over... Uh, Sophia Kennen because Kennen has not played that great in the last six months or so. Igor Sviatek is, I think, the real unknown quantity. We've seen her, you know, fantastic clay, clay record, fantastic clay results, but can she do it in really fast conditions? We don't know that yet. We don't know how she's going to perform on grass. And I think that was one of the probably one of the drawbacks from not having uh, any grass events last year is the fact that we don't know what she's going to be like on grass with any certainty, really. That's that's the difficult thing. But yeah, if you compare the women's tournament to the men's, it's, for me, it's more fascinating in terms of like just every player capable of beating each other pretty much. Of course it is. It's I, amazing. I love the dynamic. I think it's so good. And, 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 I, and I actually think that the men's is going to be like that in a couple of years when, you know, the elite guys kind of maybe fall off and level or retire. I think we're going to see something quite similar there as well. So yeah, I love that dynamic. Uh, and Matt, where are you going to be watching it from this time round? Are you are you are you staying at, at home or are you are you on going to be at no. Wimbledon? No, we are actually going to be. I'm going to be working for Eurosport, and we are going to be on site. Uh, hey, uh, yes, <laughs> so we can be walking around with uh, Barbara Shett and me, and then a couple of uh, uh, cameramen uh, or camera women, and uh, we're going to be shooting little segments and little analyses from all over uh, the grounds of Wimbledon, of, of course, wherever they allow us to go, yeah. which uh, not being an honorary member myself, uh, they might not allow me to go very far, but, but <laughs> I'm gonna be, it's going to be really, really fantastic to be back at Wimbledon. And I think that the, I was going to say before, and now it ties into this, I think the one thing that we mustn't forget is that because Djokovic won at Roland Garros, he's now got 19 slams. And because Roger Federer is uh, getting close to 40 years old, because Serena Williams is getting close to 40 years old. We have a situation where if Serena wins Wimbledon, which we think is her best chance going forwards, and I'm telling you, oh, I think that winning Wimbledon this year for Serena is a much better chance than winning Wimbledon next year. So this is it for Serena. And she needs to win here to get to 24 majors and tie Margaret Court. 
because then we are going to put Margaret Court to the side and Serena Williams will be considered on paper uh, the best player of all time. And of course, Roger Federer, same thing applied to him. He's a better chance of winning Wimbledon this year than next year. And winning Wimbledon, he has a much better chance than winning Wimbledon than winning the US Open, Australian Open or the French Open. And Roger needs to win this one if he wants to be talked about as the GOAT. I mean, he kind of has to stop Djokovic in his tracks right here. And not only stopping him, but he actually need to win it. He needs to get to 21. Of course, Rafa is not there. And Rafa is telling everybody that, hey, I'm not involved in this race because I got another three or four years on tour to play. So he's think, talking long term and he's trying to make sure that everybody knows I'm not feeling stressed. I don't need to win Wimbledon. I can still win another two, three Roland Garros. But the fact that Djokovic can also get to 20. We're talking about three. Go- What's three goats? That's a herd, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or a flock, flock. But really, in terms of numbers, this is a historical uh, tournament at Wimbledon. And then keep in mind, no one has played on grass for about two years, or at least at Wimbledon. So there's so many unknowns and so many interesting uh, uh, storylines that we will be talking about. For not only did we miss Wimbledon for a year, not only is the pandemic sort of uh, turning back into some sort of normalcy, but we also in 2021, we had Serena winning her 24, Roger Federer winning, Novak Djokovic. There's a lot of those things that I don't think the odds will reflect. But I'm telling you, these guys are going to feel that pressure once they get to the later rounds and they're going to start because... I'm going to ask them about it when I talk to them. So I'm going to make sure they don't forget it for a second. (laughs) (laughs) And it will be on their minds. Of course it will. Uh, Gents, thanks so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this Wimbledon preview podcast. I just feel similar like the last one that we did for the last Grand Slam. We could have sat here for another two hours and just mulled things over. It's a very streamlined approach to trying to cover all the different things. Uh, but some brilliant insights from the pair of you there. Uh, thank you so much, Stan Weston and Matt Valanda as well. If you want to follow Matt on Instagram, it's Matt Valanda official. Dan Weston on Twitter is at Tennis Ratings. Some brilliant stuff on there as well. Uh, the Dan posts regularly. Pinnacle.com is where you can take advantage of low margins and high limits across all the tennis markets ahead of the tournament. I think, though, gentlemen, that having listened to this podcast, there'll be a lot of people who change their minds and there'll be lots of odds changing because they'll be, you know, lumping on Petra Kvitova. She won't be at 10 for long. So if you're listening to this and you're still at 10, you've heard it off Matt and you've heard it off Dan, get lumping on. Uh, Pinnacle.betting on Instagram, keep an eye on that. And as the European Championships get towards the knockout stages, the Copper America as well, loads of content around the second coming of the eSports tournament as well, the Pinnacle Cup. Just remember to gamble responsibly on, like I said, subject to change. And thanks so much for listening. And uh, yeah, get get some strawberries and cream.